welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 23. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. So first off, a happy belated new year to you all, and I do apologize for the silence as of late. I'll explain some of that after today's story. So for today, I have chapter 22 of Outcast for you. As always, I'll be cross-posting this episode on the original Outcast podcast feed, and if you're listening to this there, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the new feed at kickit.yo5.ca or over at podchaser.com. So, without further ado, let's get into chapter 22 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 22 I received a message from Tomas a few days later, inviting me downtown for a quick meetup before work. He knew I was working the afternoon shift, so it would work out. I showed the message to Taki and she smiled. That's great to hear, she said as we finished dressing. We had just returned from the pool, enjoying a mid-morning soak, among other things. It'll be a good chance for the two of you to catch up on things. I thought that's what we were doing last time, I said. There's only so much someone will say in front of one's girlfriend, she replied with a smirk. He'll probably ask you about all the dirty things we get up to when we're alone. Her claws prickled up my back, causing me to shiver in that all-too-familiar way. Try not to get too detailed, though, she whispered in my ear throatily. I wouldn't want him to have an accident. I laughed as I pulled Taki into a tight hug and a deep, passionate kiss. Okay, I said afterward. I'll string him along just enough. She giggled as she nodded, and then gave me one last quick kiss on the cheek before I headed out the door. Tomas and I met at a nondescript cafe not too far from the docks. It was one of those large franchise places, the kind that seemed to spring up on every street corner. The drinks were by no means as authentic as they would claim, but they tasted fine enough. We stood in line for a few minutes before we reached the cashier. We ordered our drinks, paid, and found a booth to sit in as far away as we could from the bulk of the patrons in the place. We both hoped that wherever our conversation was going to go, we would be able to discuss things candidly without drawing too much attention. You sure this place is okay? I asked. No clansman would ever be caught in a place like this, he insisted. I know this is being a risk, but myself, Max, and Varisha are willing to take it. What about your parents? I countered. Granted, the Chatelier can't do much, but the clans can make your lives difficult. I raised my hand before he could interrupt. Don't get me wrong, Tommy. I'm more grateful than I can say, but this is serious. It is, Tomas agreed, taking a sip of his drink. But have you considered just who our parents are, particularly Rishas? The smirk on his muzzle told me what he meant. I am sure that if you were exposed, you could spin a tale that would doom certain clans, yes? Maybe, I said. Still, we have to be careful. We will, he insisted. 
He raised his mug in a half-salute before taking another drink. So, about what happened? Are you having any ideas? Hmm? I asked. About what? Who is doing this to you? Tomas answered. Have you thought about it? I should have been prepared to answer. Eventually, it was going to come up. However, I hadn't expected the question to come this soon, and from Tomas, no less. Not as much as you might think, I finally said. In truth, Tommy, I've been so focused on just living that looking for answers hasn't been very high on my list of priorities. I understand, but Dal or Darian, soon you will have to be facing this, yes? I know. I took a moment to savor my drink. Grandfather did mention that there were questions about what happened, but he didn't say much else beyond that. It sounds like there's more involved here than anyone knows. I sighed. Thing is, Tommy, I've had my eyes opened since all this happened. I checked my ID card. I still had an hour or so before I had to go. I've seen things, Tommy. Things that the clans do to exiles. Things that go against everything I believed about them. As much as I want to go home, I don't know if I want to be a clansman again. Tomas sat there in shock as I told him about what happened at the warehouse and what I did after. By the gods, he whispered. I had no idea. We used to joke about exiles, but now, hearing this... He shook his head. He was about to say something, but a rather cute-looking bobcat server came around and offered to refill our orders. We both accepted graciously and waited for her to be out of earshot before continuing. If there are questions about your exile, he said, then perhaps it is best to get them answered. If you get back into the clans, you will be safe from such things, yes? Yeah, I replied, sighing. All I keep hearing is that I should be focusing on my family, that all of this is for family. Thing is, my family's a part of all this. Guilt by association is guilt nonetheless, I interrupted. Tommy, even if my family doesn't know about any of this, they're still part of the institution that allows it. Yes, an institution that will kill you on sight as you are now. Tomas took a sip of his drink. With what you know now, perhaps when, if, no, when you return to the clans, you can raise awareness. You could expose those who condemn their children to death. It may make no difference, or it may start something incredible. But you won't know until you are past all of this. I don't know, Tommy. I finished my drink, realizing I would have to leave soon. Maybe I'm just scared of where all this is going to go. I mean, what if I'm at the heart of something too much for me to handle? What then? What if, by my snooping around, I put all of you in danger? My vindication isn't worth the blood of my friends. Why not to be letting us make that decision for ourselves, he countered. I understand the risk just sitting here discussing this. Max and Risha will also make their own decisions in this matter. He smiled. I cannot speak for them, but for myself, I am standing by you, my friend, no matter the cost. There was no point in arguing. Tomas was as headstrong as they came. With a sigh, I nodded. All right, I said. I'll start looking into all of this a bit more. 
Who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky. The last statement I said with a smirk. In truth, I had no idea what I was going to uncover, given what little evidence I really had. Still, it would give my brain something to do when my body was too exhausted to even play the guitar. Good, said Tomas with a smile. Now, speaking of getting lucky, perhaps you are now telling me more about the key. I am wanting details, my friend. Oh, boy. My conversation with Tomas stuck with me. I played it repeatedly in my head as I reported for work, changed, endured another round of Shariah's flirting, and finally reported to the break room to meet up with my crew. I was completely oblivious to how full the room was until I heard a throat clearing. Even after I looked up, my brain still took a full five seconds to realize the break room was a host to more than just my co-workers. My throat ran dry as I spotted first one, then four, then over a dozen uniformed individuals. Some wore a badge I recognized from the Kerala City Police Department, but there were some I didn't recognize. Those ones gave me even more pause, as the people wearing those badges had expressions on their muzzles that put Nath and his partner to shame. They seemed polite enough around us, but my whiskers were almost itching from the tension in the air. Something big was going on, and I immediately worried about my identity. The din in the break room came to a halt when I saw Ultras Barkav step to the front of the room. One of the police officers and one of the other people I didn't recognize soon flanked him. Shariah also joined them. With all the flirting I had to put up with, I forgot that she was also the head of port security. All eyes faced forward, and I tensed. If this was an exile bust, it was going to be intimately violent in such a small place. Right. Settle down the lot here, Altris said. His voice was heavy with concern. It appears we got ourselves a problem, and it's going to take all of you to solve it. Several murmurs arose from the gathered workers, as everyone began quietly asking each other just what was going on. Altris then waved forward the two people flanking him. The police officer was a surprisingly bulked-up serval, while the other was a rather sharp-dressed leopard. This here is Sergeant Scoffit, Altris said, nodding to the officer. And this is Agent Baralan from Confed Security Services. Gods, the leopard was a federal agent. This was serious. I tried to glance around at some of those in the group I knew were exiles. They were surprisingly calm. Was I overthinking this, or had they resigned themselves to their fates? The one named Baralan was first. Good evening, he said with a clear tone in his voice. I'd like to apologize for the inconvenience here tonight, and hopefully we'll be out of your hair before too long. A few people chuckled nervously. Except for lions and one cheetah lineage, very few Bengalans had anything resembling a head of hair. Two hours ago, the Kerala City Police Department received an anonymous tip that some dangerous and illegal cargo had arrived at the Port Authority. Ascension Station and the Starside area has already been scanned and secured, which leaves the seaside operation. Inwardly, I felt relieved. They weren't here looking for exiles, but something else. I thought about the ships I knew of that were currently in port. Most of them had come from Chakras, the port city in Lakaya, which was still in the throes of their civil war. 
I didn't know much about the fighting, except that it had always been on the news and my family often talked about it. While most of the overt fighting had ceased in recent years, the odd flare-up still occurred. Could the cargo had come from there? And if so, why? Shanto had no stake in their war, and the Confederation was forbidden from acting to resolve it unless their interests were in jeopardy. Was the Port Authority the target? We have been authorized to inspect and, if necessary, open every container on the seaside, Agent Borallon continued. That includes the cargo still aboard any vessels in port. The crews have been detained until this investigation has concluded, and your stevedores have been supplied with all the necessary security clearances. We'll be working in teams, Sergeant Scoffett spoke up. One stevedore, one port operative to properly inventory and account for container contents, one pilot for transport, and one representative from the KCPD and CSS. Mr. Krang has sectioned off the port area for teams to investigate. Stick to your areas and report back here when you're done. If we need more teams to aid with the larger areas, the dispatch of those teams will happen from here. What's the cargo? The question came from someone I couldn't see. I didn't recognize the voice either. At this point, we cannot say, the agent replied vaguely. Suffice it to say, the tip that came in is something we're taking very seriously. I realize that it's not the answer you were looking for, sir, but it's all I can give you at this moment. Several groans erupted from the workers, knowing what was to come. It all ceased with a warning growl from the dockmaster. The sooner you quit your bitching and moaning about it, growled Altrus, the sooner we'll get this done, all right? The group went silent. That's better, he said. Now, let's get you split up. The seaside operations ceased. Cranes lowered their cargo, and the operators joined the search effort. In a matter of mere minutes, the entire area became as silent as Junktown. The only sounds that indicated any activity were the sound of marine craft moving around the docked vessels, or the distant whine of thrusters as the starside operations continued, though in a limited capacity. Altrus had pulled in as many people as he could from the starside operations just to have more feet on the ground. The addition of at least seven more stevedores helped immensely with the number of available teams. Despite the mass of people moving about, the absence of the familiar sounds of day-to-day -day operations left the place feeling dead somehow. Our teams headed out onto the grounds. The stevedores had the authorization to open any container ordered so by the federal agent. The operator's task was to then catalog the contents of the container physically and then upload the report to Alistair's office. There, the plan was to cross-reference the two inventories, filed and physical, for verification. Upon a successful verification, the operator counted the inventory a second time, after which the team would seal and mark the container. It was a tedious process, but the teams made the best of it. I had a hunch that this would continue long past my shift. I hoped it wouldn't take too long, though. I'd heard stories from other crews about ship captains voicing their discontent when there were delays putting back out to sea. I was more than concerned when we started, for the police officer that accompanied us was, in fact, a bomb disposal specialist. Was this why the agent had been so vague in his answer? Were we looking for a bomb? I wanted to ask, but I also just wanted to get this done. Perhaps the armor was just a precaution. 
If they knew this cargo was indeed a bomb of some sort, then I suspected we all would be wearing at least some kind of protective measure. As it was, the only person who would survive a blast would be the officer. That wasn't exactly a comforting thought. I was the stock boy on my team, which meant my job was to scan the inventory of each container before and after the police inspected it. The stevedore on my team was from the Starset operation, a grizzled older lion named Talbo Savaris. He was friendly enough, and he was more than willing to answer any questions I had. I found out that, like many at the docks, he was a Lakaian expatriate who fled the war with his family. He also explained to me that the Starset operation should have gone to Lakaya, but the ongoing conflict forced the Confederation to seek another port able to handle cargo operations between the planet and Ascension Station, the giant orbital hub where interstellar freighters transported cargo from all over Confederation space. Corrala City benefited greatly from the business, much to the chagrin of Chakras. They want to have their cake and eat it too, Talbo said as we moved from one collection of containers to another. But you can't expect Confed to work in a place that could be bombed at any minute. But they saw all them lovely credits floating over here, and they've been raw about it ever since. Doesn't make a lot of sense, I said. I mean, they want the money, but can't guarantee stability. It doesn't seem that hard to realize. And you never tried to feed your kitten their vegetables when they're looking at dessert. I cocked my head at his comment, but it slowly made sense. The dessert, in this case the spaceport, was a reward for eating your vegetables, namely ending their war and ensuring peace. I snickered at equating a long and bloody civil war to a kitten having a tantrum. It was funny, but only because I knew no one who was involved. Distance from it lessened the impact of what was going on. I thought about what Talbos said, and it also reminded me of my own situation. Tomas was right that I would have to face this eventually, and the reward, though worth it, would be no small task to attain. I wanted it to be over, but at the same time I didn't like the idea of having to resort to violence. Even if I weren't afraid of the conflict, there was no guarantee that I'd come out of it alive. There were no guarantees in my situation, just the reward at the end of family and peace. By comparison, a few veggies would be preferable. We stopped for a break after four hours. I took the time to review the data I'd collected and send it to the office. Alistair acknowledged the transmission and indicated he was going over it. After a few moments, he let me know that the data was accurate, and he even commended me for my diligence. I smirked at that. Maybe I had a real future as a dock worker. Everything all right? I looked up to see Talbo standing in front of me. Hmm? Oh, uh, fine, I said. Just making sure I didn't miss anything, I held up the data pad. Not just that, he said. You look like you got something on your mind. I don't know you that well, I'll admit, but me whiskers are twitching something fierce. I had to think fast. I had a feeling he wouldn't let up if I just apologized and dismissed it. I received some news yesterday about my parents. Oh? I ran down the cover story I'd created with the Foundation, about my parents dying and my coming here looking for work. I'm sorry, lad, he said, placing a hand on my shoulder. What'd you find out? 
Not much, really, I said. But there have been a few questions coming up about the accident. Nothing the police are involved with yet, but just some speculation that came my way. I shrugged. I guess I'm just wondering if there's something I should do with the information. Why wouldn't you want to find out? He asked. I mean, is this something bad? Are your folks involved in something? I don't think so, I said. But what if I don't like what I find? Would it be better to just live my life? I mean, I came here to start over, not to dwell on the past. It was hard to keep a straight expression in the face of all the lies I was telling. Still, obscure as I was being, it felt good to talk to someone about my situation. If you ask me, he said after a few moments, not knowing's worse than knowing. Even if you don't like the answers, it's far better than always wondering about it. Just then, the agent approached us and indicated that we should continue. Something to think about, he said as we moved to catch up. Something to think about indeed. Four hours later, my team and several others were back in the break room. We hadn't found anything and were on standby in case another area could use more people. I still had no idea what we were searching for, and I had the impression that only the CSS agents were aware. However, they weren't talking. I wasn't overly pleased at the secrecy, but I wasn't in much of a position to make demands. Oi, Talbo said, taking a long pull from his shakrala. Ain't done that much walking on the job in years. Me feet are going to be feeling this in the morning. I snickered. Thanks to my implants, I could have gone all night, though I was sure my mind would have turned to mush long before I finished. As it was, toward the end I was triple-checking my results in between monstrous yawns. I was going to sleep like the dead when I got home. The agent excused himself to talk to his superior, leaving Talbo and I with the officer. Out of his armor, the tiger looked a lot less intimidating. In truth, he was a rather friendly person, the kind of officer you could see patrolling a neighborhood and knowing everyone's name. I think his name was Vins. So, he said to me, I heard a bit about what you were talking about earlier about your parents. I nodded, trying to keep the churning in my stomach to a bare minimum. Have you been to the authorities about it? Not yet, I said. Like I said, all I heard is that there were questions, nothing concrete, and the message was anonymous. I shrugged. It could just be some hypernet conspiracy theorist trying to make a name for themselves. I mean, if anything comes of it, I'll let the right people know, but, well, you're worried that you might not like what you find, Vince finished. I nodded. I agree with Mr. Savaris here. You'd be better off asking those questions and getting those answers. It might be nothing, or it might lead you somewhere uncomfortable, but at least then you'll know you've made the effort. Kind of like this, I said. Even if we find what we're looking for, that's not the end of it. You're right, Vins said with a nod. There'll be an investigation, questions to ask, and leads to follow. It may all end nowhere, or we may find something worse than we thought. Either way, we need to do it so we can say we did it. Make sense? I nodded. Between what Grandfather and Tomas were saying, I knew that my time of recovery was ending. I would have to start asking questions about my exile, or at the very least examine what I knew and posing new questions of my own. Grandfather suspected something, 
and that little grain of doubt about all this was starting to germinate. I only hoped that at the end of it all, there would be something to grab onto. Something for the beast to sink its teeth into. Taki was still awake when I arrived home. She greeted me with a much-needed hug. Welcome back, she said. She saw the look on my muzzle and cocked her head. Is everything all right? I told her everything that had happened, from Tomas to the incident at work and the conversation with Talbo and Vins. We both concluded that it was indeed time to focus on my exile and get the answers I needed. Or, at the very least, make the effort to find out. Taki kissed me tenderly and smiled. It's about time, she said. I mean, if there's even a chance you could end this, it's worth taking it. I know, I said. Even if I didn't recover the Kalpak outright, if I could somehow point the clans in the right direction, perhaps it would be enough to take the pressure off. It was rare, but sometimes an exile could appeal the council's decision based on new evidence or proof of malice on the part of the accuser. However, it was a gamble because if they denied the appeal, it meant the execution of the exile. Even if I handed them a proverbial smoking gun, the potential for my death was still there. I was about to say more, but another yawn came to my muzzle. I sighed. It might be worth taking, I pleaded. But maybe it can wait until morning? Taki smiled, and before long we were under the blankets holding each other. I let the warmth of her body next to mine calm my mind. I wished the moment would last forever, but I knew it wouldn't. The next step in my life was beginning, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. But at the very least, the next step could wait until morning. I contacted Tomas the next morning and had him contact Grandfather. I needed to see him. If there were questions the clans were asking, then he needed to be with Teki and I as we started hashing out what I knew. He arrived just as Teki and I were finishing our breakfast. I poured him a cup of tea and set about brewing another pot. I had a few hours before my training, and I wanted to spend them trying to figure out why this happened to me. I mean, swords? I asked. Why swords? Why not something more modern, like a gun? A good question, Grandfather noted. Clan law forbids anyone from even bringing a firearm onto our lands, unless they are required by duty to carry it. He took a sip of his tea. Very curious. Moreover, Taki added, since they were using swords, why not just slit your throat or behead you? I gawked at her, but she merely shrugged. Well, they were obviously trying to kill you, so why be so brutal about it? Moreover, why not finish the job outright? A macabre way of describing it, but relevant, Grandfather said. Macabre was an understatement. However, Taki was right. They should have been more thorough and ended my life right there. Why just maim me the way they did? Were they interrupted? My memories of that night were fuzzy at best. So, I summarized, they obeyed clan law and used legal weaponry on me. They didn't kill me outright for some unknown reason. I rose from my seat and started pacing. Grandfather, did my wounds look like an animal attack? He cocked his head at that. 
I'm just wondering if they were disguising what they did to me to throw anyone off the trail. No, he replied. Plus, if it had been such an attack, the Kalpak would have still been there. I sighed. So much for that hypothesis. The nature and brutality of the attack is most concerning, he continued. Obeying clan law tells me that these perpetrators hold the clans in some regard. That they were so savage and how they wounded you tells me they revere what the Kalpak represents. The God of War. More than that. During the time of the Warlords, that artifact was often honored with a blood sacrifice. My ears perked up at this. What was done to you almost sounds like a ritual. They could not kill you because the God of War does not revel in death. He revels in combat. Dead warriors are useless to him, and wounded ones can always be healed and sent out once more. To Ratal, eternal conflict is his paradise. But I still could have died. The pacing was getting me nowhere, so I sat back down. Dr. Sheck mentioned how much blood I'd lost, and he was amazed that I'd survived. So, I'm attacked, bled for the grace of Ratal, left for dead, but I survived. Whoever ordered this wanted to appease the gods, Taki offered. Not any of the patrons, but the old god of war himself. Ratal has no patron to speak for him, Grandfather said. After the Ascension War, no one on Bengalus wanted to even think about conflict again. So those who ascended to serve as the patrons chose not to give him a voice in the New Age. At least, that is what the history says. This made Grandfather steeple his fingers once more. If a clan is involved in this, such heresy would cost them dearly. That doesn't answer the question about the Kalpak itself, I insisted. If another clan did take it, and then revealed that they found it, there would be too many questions. If it was too soon, Taki said. If someone has it, maybe they're waiting for things to calm down. But again, to what end? It made no sense. Prestige aside, the Kalpak was nothing more than an icon of a bygone era. It held no power, supernatural or otherwise. Who would benefit from stealing it? We all went silent, thinking about what we'd all said. Despite not having any answers yet, the conversation felt good. Tomas and Vins had been right. There was something about seeking the answers that was fulfilling. At least it was something. The journey was just as important as the destination. Even a small bit of progress was just that. Progress. It feels like we're missing something, I finally said. I swear the fates are smirking at us right now. Perhaps we're looking at this too closely, Grandfather offered. We turned our attention to him. We agree that the attack had some ceremonial overtones, so let's look at another ceremony. Your exile. I shivered, not really wanting to relive that experience. Lars Rontoki called for your head. He even gave your father his sword to do it. Yes, I said softly. By all rights, I should be dead. Lars was adamant. He... The truth was there. It was in plain sight, announcing its presence. It rushed up on me with such force that I stood up and started pacing again. My hands began to shake. My breathing was growing heavy. 
I was excited and terrified at the same time. By the gods, I said. That's it. What is? asked Grandfather. It was Lars, I said after a moment. Lars and his clan. They orchestrated this whole thing to keep the Kalpak in their possession. It makes perfect sense. Lars was the Kalshara for ten years straight. Yes, Grandfather said. And last year the council demanded that the Kalpak be the prize in last year's Kumal. He leaned back. That in itself is a mystery, but one I think I could get from Tarmon after a few drinks. He smirked at that. So, I continued, Lars puts up the Kalpak not by choice. He knew he was going to win or he would have refused, right? Grandfather nodded. But just in case, he has someone waiting to take down the winner. That should have been your father, said Taki. But I took his place, I finished. My mind flashed back to that night. Had they all been Black Panthers? I couldn't really remember, but then again they had all been wearing masks. I shook my head. What clan, if any, they belonged to was irrelevant. Those four were tasked to bleed the winner, but not kill them in deference to Ratal. Despite that, I should have died. But you didn't, said Grandfather. By some miracle you survived. That threw Lars' plans into disarray, Taki continued. In his perfect scenario, you die, the Kalpak disappears for a while, and then is miraculously found by his clan. And out of sheer gratitude for finding it, I concluded, Lars would be allowed to retain it. He'd claim divine providence, and those more religious would agree with him. So why not kill you in the hospital? Taki asked. Why let you live long enough to be exiled? They couldn't, Grandfather responded. The Midnight Fang and the Tiger's Paw have had a blood feud between them for generations. Our clans served different warlords, but after the Ascension War, the Tiger's Paw laid down their weapons, preferring instead to live a life of peace. Under the Edict of Patrons, the Midnight Fang could not wage war on us outright, but the hatred is still there. He turned to me. Lars could not order your death without drawing undue attention. I believe your exile was his last-ditch effort to end you. All this talk of people wanting to kill me was not improving my mood. Grandfather smiled. Your father defied him one last time, giving you a chance to live and to redeem yourself. I looked up at him. It was either that, or he would live with the shame of executing his own son. There it was. The cold, hard truth of it all laid out before me. I wanted to be wrong but the logic was inescapable. I'd been set up. I took the fall in a plot that amounted to nothing more than appeasing one man's twisted vanity. It all fits, Grandfather said. But it is not enough with which to approach the council yet. He rose and smiled. I'm proud of you both, he said, embracing us individually. We have answered some questions, but have asked even more. However, they are relevant. I will do what I can, Dallin. I promise you that. For now, though, both of you, live your lives as though we never spoke of this. 
Even as speculation, what we discussed here is dangerous and could have consequences. He asked for our ID cards, and upon receiving them, he entered in a new contact. Use this to get in touch with me in the future, he instructed. Rather creative, asking Tomas to be your proxy, but he should not be involved this deeply. I nodded, smiling sheepishly. I must go. Tread carefully, you two. If there is any substance to this, and if they find out, your lives may be in danger. With that, he stepped out and left us in silence. I felt Tiki wrap her arms around me from behind and felt her muzzle press onto my back. Feels like this is almost over, she said. I wanted to believe her. Gods, I needed to believe her. Yet, something about all this told me that even if Grandfather got the answers he was looking for, none of us would like the result. Sadly, I was right. And that's our story. So, what happened? I've been trying to figure that one out, and I realized that in the weeks leading up to Christmas, I was dealing with depression. It wasn't so debilitating that I felt I needed medication, but with the pandemic, no job, and now my employment insurance having run out, life came at me fast, and I wasn't prepared for the blow. I know there are a lot of people in the same boat as me out there. I'm one of many thousands of people waiting for that next financial shoe to drop. So far, I've been doing okay with what I have left, but if things don't turn around soon, I worry about what's to come. One bright spot over Christmas was a Zoom call with my family, which was awesome. <laughs> it was great to see that even despite all this, we could still at the very least get in touch with each other and wish each other all the best of the season. Also, thanks to an exception made by the government here, I was able to go to Christmas dinner at my niece's place. And you know, you never really realize what you need until you actually get it. And some family time was what I really needed. Even though I got a bit of a recharge from the holidays, things are still not where I'd like them to be. And the constant mental load has affected me more than I thought it would. It's hurt my writing my voice, and even my motivation in many cases. At times, I've just turtled myself, not talked to anyone, and wrestled with the unending worries in my head. However, that kind of behavior does nothing for you, so I'm trying to get back to some sense of routine. It's been a hard road, especially when, just when you think you've got your feet under you, something trips you up and you're back on the ground struggling to get back up. I'm really looking forward to the day when I can look back on this and laugh, though I won't be laughing. I'll remember it and hopefully use it to push myself forward. In any case, I think I'll leave it here for now. As always, thank you for tuning in, and if you'd like to leave some feedback, please feel free to email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. 
Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.